Okay, so this evening I'd like to continue exploring our theme for this year, which is living a life of mutual benefit, exploring the Noble Eightfold Path. And we're fortunate to have the luxury of time here, so that we don't have to spend just one week on each of the eight factors, which is the way it's often done. But instead, we can take several weeks to look at each one, because as we've been discovering, there's a lot more to each of these factors than perhaps might be apparent at first glance. So tonight, I'd like to stay with the second path factor, which is right or wise thought. Uh, also often translated as wise intention or wise resolve. And as mentioned in previous weeks, the Buddha was quite specific about what he meant by wise intention. And he divided it into three aspects, defining wise intention firstly as the intention to practice relinquishment or renunciation. And that's to counter the tendency to greed and as a support for generosity. The second aspect of wise intention is the intention towards metta or kindness, good will, as an antidote to aversion or ill will. And the third aspect of wise intention is compassion, to overcome any tendency towards cruelty or harming of others or oneself. So last week, Sue led us in a beautiful exploration of compassion and self-compassion, Tonight, then, I want to come back to the second aspect of wise intention, which is metta, kindness, goodwill, universal friendliness. And I'm guessing perhaps all of you here have at least some familiarity with what this is. So just to check, has anyone never heard of metta practice or never done it before? Okay, so you all have at least a flavor of it, and so... In some ways, this is like coming back to an old friend. And just as with an old friend, it can be quite easy to take them for granted. So tonight, I'd like to revisit this quality of kindness, friendliness, goodwill, particularly to explore how it supports our insight practice, how it helps to free the heart and mind from all afflictive states on deeper and deeper levels. And I want to emphasize this aspect of depth because sometimes people dismiss metta as a lightweight practice. They believe it doesn't have the same possibilities of freedom that insight offers. And those people tend to think of metta as something, as something fluffy and lightweight, usually because they haven't actually practiced it. So, as most of you know, when we put effort into cultivating metta, at times it can be surprisingly hard work. And at times it can take a surprising amount of courage. And that's because the practice in the beginning is almost designed to show us the obstacles, what gets in the way of that beautiful quality of universal friendliness. So it's inevitable that at times we sit down with the intention of cultivating kindness and instead we find ourselves confronted by boredom, impatience, frustration, resentment, jealousy, irritation, judgment, self-judgment, anger, anxiety, numbness, fear. I could go on, 
could spend quite a long time on this because there are so many afflictive states. But as we develop the skill of offering metta to the non-metta, those afflictive states begin to loosen their grip on us. And over time, the basic goodwill of metta starts to become more and more the default setting of our hearts and minds. So you might remember how last time I mentioned that the, in some ways the whole of the Noble Eightfold Path is a practice of shaping the heart and mind, of crafting the heart and mind. So the Buddha understood that this was possible because of what we nowadays call neural plasticity, that understanding that neurons that fire together, wire together. So last time I emphasized how in every moment we're literally shaping our hearts and minds, whether we know it or not. Even as you're sitting here now, the thoughts, the emotions, the moods, the mind states, everything we think, say and do strengthens certain pathways in the mind. So we want to bring as much awareness to this process as possible so that those paths are going in the right direction. There's a direct connection then between the renunciation aspect of wise intention that I spoke of last time and the meta aspect of wise intention, the intention towards goodwill. So as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the deepest level of renunciation is not about giving up material things. It's not about forcing ourselves to stop eating chocolate or stop spending so much time on social media. It's about relinquishing our inner attitudes that cause suffering, clinging to views, to opinions, to beliefs, and in this context, clinging to a sense of self, the tendency to identify with experience. So in this way, renunciation and metta, or kindness, work together very powerfully to support the understanding of anatta, or not-self. And it's this connection between renunciation, kindness, and anatta, not-self, that I like to explore just a little bit more now. So first, just a reminder of what is meant by anatta. Usually it's translated as not-self, sometimes emptiness. And as we were discovering last year, it's one of the three universal characteristics that the Buddha pointed to as being true of all experience. So everything is constantly changing, impermanent. Because of that changeability, it's not capable of giving us lasting satisfaction. And also because of that changeability, there is no fixed, solid, permanent me at the center of it all to whom all experience is happening. And this is the understanding of anatta. And when we fully understand that, it releases us from the constant stress of habitual self-referencing. And instead, we can experience ease, happiness, peace, freedom. So it was this realization of the, by the Buddha that there is no permanent stable person to whom experience is happening. This was what set his teachings apart from his contemporaries in India at that time. And the Buddha himself saw these teachings on anatta or not-self as being the heart of what he taught, being central to everything he taught. 
So he said, nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine. Whoever has heard this truth has heard all the teachings. Whoever has practiced this truth has practiced all the teachings. Whoever has realized this truth has realized all the teachings. So that's just a quick overview to give some context of how metta supports the understanding of anatta. And I'm not going to go into more detail now because we've already spent quite a bit of time at the end of last year looking at anatta or not-self in relation to the five clinging aggregates. So if you want a refresher on all that, you can always go back and listen to that talk series on Dharma Seed. So for now, just to emphasize that the most transformative aspects of anatta usually can't be understood just intellectually by trying to think our way into understanding it. Instead, it comes from a more intuitive insight, and that usually requires the support of retreat conditions. When the mind can become very quiet and still, and our mindfulness becomes extremely refined, then out of that clear seeing, the clinging to self-view can be released. Outside of retreat conditions, though, we can still taste some of the benefits of this letting go of self-centeredness. And that comes through practicing renunciation, kindness, compassion, these three aspects of wise intention. So renunciation is giving up all afflictive mind states, releasing painful emotions, painful mental qualities, And we do this through seeing where and how we get attached. How we get attached to the views, the opinions, the concepts, the beliefs, the self-beliefs of all kinds. Because to the extent that we identify with or cling to those inner constructs, to that extent they cause suffering. So how does all this relate to kindness or metta, the second aspect of wise intention? I'd like to circle back to the metta chant that I offered earlier at the beginning of the meditation because it highlights how kindness is supported by the letting go of self-cherishing. In fact, of all afflictive states. So this sutta, this discourse, the Karaniya Metta Sutta, is usually translated as the Buddha's words on loving-kindness. And according to the tradition, it's said to have been given to a group of monks who had been trying to meditate in a forest grove. But this forest grove was, according to the legend, inhabited by some forest spirits who were not so happy about having to share their home with these monks. And so the forest spirits tried to scare them away. So the monks went to the Buddha and told them what had happened. And the Buddha suggested that they go back to the grove and keep reciting this Karaniya Metta Sutta to settle their own anxiety and to let the spirits know that they meant no harm. So the monks did this and apparently it worked and they were all able to live happily together, to live happily ever after. So we can take that as just a sweet story or even a kind of a Buddhist fairy tale. But the point of it is that Consciously orienting to kindness, cultivating friendliness, goodwill, metta, is a powerful 
protection from all afflictive mind states, including fear and anxiety. And that sutta points to a whole range of different aspects of metta. We could spend probably quite a few weeks just unpacking it. Tonight, I'd like to just highlight a couple of aspects from it, beginning with that opening statement. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. So it's saying that cultivating kindness is crucial to experiencing peace. And yet so often we approach meditation practice with an underlying attitude of hostility, of harshness, of judgment, even self-punishment. And unconsciously we often begin practice as a giant self-improvement project that's actually rooted in aversion. Now it's obvious when we state it out loud that going to war to achieve peace is probably counterproductive. So instead the sutta highlights qualities of character such as gentleness, humility, calmness, contentment. And it's an invitation to look at the underlying attitude or motivation that we're doing our practice with to make sure it's in alignment with wise intention the intention of letting go of kindness, of compassion. The Sutta then goes on to describe some other qualities that support kindness. It talks about being contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways. And these phrases always jump out at me because they're so counter to mainstream values mainstream values that often push us into materialism, individualism, productivity, overwork, hyper-busyness, and so on. So much that I think many of us can hardly imagine what it might be like to be unburdened with duties. And in my own experience recently, I was a bit shocked to recognize once again just how much busyness gets in the way of being kind. I've just finished a phase of doing a lot of retreat teaching, so I did six retreats in three months, which is more than I'd normally want to do. And it didn't leave much time for anything else, so I just didn't feel to have the bandwidth to respond to some of the challenging things that have been going on for friends, for family, and in the wider community. In some ways, I was a bit in survival mode, just getting through the workload, But now that that pressure has lessened a bit, I'm suddenly so much more aware of what some people have been going through. And it feels good to be able to connect, to make the time to call or to email or to visit. And it's been a good reminder to me of the perils of getting too busy and just how much that gets in the way of kindness. So it's helped me to set a stronger intention, hopefully a wise intention, to pay more attention to what I'm putting into my calendar. So coming back to that connection between anatta and metta, when I was caught up in the contraction of busyness, there was less space available for me to orient to kindness, and life felt just a bit smaller, more self-centered. But that's just my own personal experience. I'd like to see if this resonates, feels true for you too. By taking a couple of minutes now just to 
get a, a more of a felt sense of the effects of kindness. So just to bring to mind a time when you did experience some form of kindness in your own life and to get a sense of how that affects us physically, emotionally, mentally. So let's take a couple of minutes in silence now and just see if you can remember a a recent time when someone was kind to you in some way. It doesn't have to be something huge, just a small, simple act of kindness or care. And as you bring that memory to mind now, notice the effect on your body. Any physical sensations that might be present. And then attuning to any effects on your heart and your mind. Any emotions that might be coming up. Or particular patterns of thought. Okay. Anyone have anything they'd like to share? What did you notice about the experience of connecting with kindness? So yeah, as most of you described, for most people the experience of kindness is one of warmth, of openness, of empathy. There's a feeling of connection, of expansiveness, of moving beyond a small sense of self. And all of those qualities are also aspects of the experience of anatta or not-self. And I want to highlight that because When we hear anatta referred to as not-self or as emptiness, we can lose sight of that because in English, neither of those terms sound particularly appealing. So we need to make the translation in our own minds to understand that the spaciousness of anatta is what makes room for the beautiful qualities of heart to bloom. So in my own practice, this connection between became very clear a few years ago when I was on a two-month retreat at the Forest Refuge in Massachusetts and the teachers were Joseph Goldstein and Caroline Jones and the two of them were offering complementary approaches to practice. So Joseph was focusing on anatta or not-self and Caroline was focusing on the four Brahma-Vihara qualities of metta, compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity. And during that retreat, my practice got some momentum and there was a phase where I was exploring this process of letting go quite intensively. And I was able to notice on more and more refined levels wherever I was holding on, clinging, resisting, grasping. And I was able often to let that go. So some momentum developed. And at one point, though, there was a little flicker of doubt And this question appeared in my mind. But if I just keep letting go, letting go, letting go, what's that going to leave? And in that moment, the spontaneous answer was love. 
And intuitively this made sense to me in a whole new way. That anatta or not-self is not about becoming a nobody, as we sometimes unconsciously fear. Instead, when we can reduce the amount of space that's taken up in our psyche by that habitual self-referencing, there's almost literally more room for these Brahma-Vihara qualities to emerge and grow. So cultivating the understanding of anatta supports metta and the Brahma-Viharas. And the opposite is also true. As we strengthen kindness, compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity, these four together open up space in the heart and mind. And that helps to free us from the prison of self-centeredness. So it's a two-way process. Anatta makes space for the Brahma-Vihara, and the Brahma-Vihara open up the experience of Anatta. So coming back to the understanding that this practice of exploring the Noble Eightfold Path is about living a life of mutual benefit. This training in wise intention strengthens our capacity to live simply with contentment, with kindness, with care. And that has an effect on everyone around us. So in relation to this, I'd like to close with a quote from the Indian sage Nisargadatta Maharaj. He was not in the Buddhist tradition, but some of his teachings point to a similar freedom of not-self. They just use slightly different language. So he says, Do not be afraid of freedom from desire and fear. It enables you to live a life so different from all you know, so much more intense and interesting, that truly, by losing all, you gain all. And one of his students asked him, When there is no I, who is free? And Nisargadatta replied, The world is free of a mighty nuisance. Good enough. So thank you for your kind attention. May our efforts here help us to free the world of mighty nuisances.